Well, good morning again, and again, Happy New Year. I hope that you found some time this past week to enjoy family and friends and maybe just slow down a little bit. I had a little extra time at home with my girls, and one of the things that I decided to do with my daughters is introduce them to the films The Hobbit. There's three of them. When I was a young kid, I remember reading that book for the first time and just being so captivated by the book, and then as an adult, seeing it on screen was just this amazing thing, and I wanted my girls to enjoy it and to hear the story. And uh, as we began to watch it, I realized that this world that J.R.R. Tolkien created, this Middle Earth, was so foreign to them. And I I find myself answering questions the whole movie, like, who are these people, and why do they look that way, and why do these guys have big hairy feet, and 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 why is there a dragon, and why is it? And and I'm trying to explain to them like that this is a whole different fictional world that he's created. This is whole another kingdom, and trying to explain how things work and what things look like, and, and all that sort of stuff. And in the passage that we're going to be studying for the next eight weeks, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, what Jesus is doing is he's really explaining to us what a whole different world looks like, what his kingdom looks like, how it looks, how it acts, and how it advances. And the theme of really the Beatitudes, but also the Sermon on the Mount, is the kingdom of heaven. And what does it look like to enter into the kingdom of heaven? And so the Beatitudes, these eight blessings that are declared on eight different characteristics that a person might embody, it gives us two things. It gives us a glimpse of King Jesus, first and foremost, who is Jesus, but also it gives us a glimpse of what we will look like as we begin to enter his kingdom and become kingdom people. And there is a blessing that rests upon these individuals. And so I wanted to start by introducing this series and just talking about the word blessed, because the series is called Blessed, and each of the statements begins with the word blessed. What does blessed mean? And in the original Greek, blessed is often translated happy or carefree. But Jesus certainly means much more than just happy or carefree, because next week we're going to see that Jesus says blessed are those who mourn. It wouldn't make any sense for him to say, happy are those who sad, are sad. So Jesus is talking about way more than ordinary happiness. Because happiness is subjective. It's based on how we feel, right? Some of you are happy about how 2021 went. Some of you are very unhappy about how 2021 went. And so you're happy it's 2022 and you're hoping for a better year. Happiness is subjective. But Jesus, when he says the word blessed, he's not talking about how we feel, our subjective feelings. He is talking about the objective truth of God's, how God feels about us and how God thinks about us and what God says about us. One of the commentaries says that blessed is the positive judgment of God on individuals, which means that God approves of you. What a thought, that you would be approved of by God. So the Beatitudes are not about what make us happy, but the Beatitudes are what our lives will look like when we desire God's approval above all else, and when we have this sense of his approval above all else, which kind of leads us to this question that hangs over the entire series, which is, if we're honest, do we desire our happiness or his approval more? Because sometimes those things conflict with each other. What, what, what we want out of life and what God wants to do in us and through us. And so we're going to look at this passage, the first three verses of Matthew chapter 5. It says that Jesus, seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain. That's why it's called the Sermon on the Mount. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So at this time in history, the teacher would normally be seated. And verse 2, he opened his mouth and he taught them saying, and this is our beatitude for the morning, blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
And this morning, I just want us to learn two things about what it means to be poor in spirit. And the first thing is this, that the poor in spirit know that they bring nothing. They bring nothing. Most likely you had some sort of holiday gathering these last couple weeks unless you were quarantined or shut in or whatever. But, but I remember as a kid going to holiday parties, going to Christmas parties, and, and, and I never felt the pressure to bring anything because I was a kid. Kids don't bring things. They just show up with empty, greedy hands, like, give me, give me, give me, and give me food, and give me candy, and give me presents. And as a kid, I would show up empty-handed, and I would leave full-handed with toys and presents and new clothes and all sorts of stuff. But part of adulting is realizing you don't show up to people's stuff (laughs) empty-handed. you got to bring something, right? And so very often when someone invites you to their house for something or to a holiday party, the very first thing most of you would reply with is, what can we bring? Right, And uh, we've had friends that we've had over our house that they say, what can we bring? And I'll say, nothing. Just bring your appetite. And that's all we really want you. But, but they just can't come empty-handed, so they bring something. They bring flowers. They bring a candle. They bring a house gift or something. But we know that we shouldn't show up empty-handed. But in the kingdom of heaven, in the kingdom of God, the poor in spirit know we're empty-handed. We bring nothing. To be poor in spirit is to know your spiritual neediness and your total, complete dependence upon God. It's a recognition, listen, it's a recognition that there is a blessing that you need, there's a blessing that you must have, but you have no means by which to get it for yourself. You can't earn it, you cannot slave for it, you cannot work for it, you cannot chase after it, you cannot desire it sincerely enough or passionately enough because the poor in spirit know they bring nothing. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a famous preacher, says it this way. He says, to be poor in spirit is a complete absence of pride, a complete absence of self-assurance and of self-reliance. It means a consciousness that we are nothing in the presence of God. It is nothing then that we can produce. It is nothing that we can do in ourselves. It's this tremendous awareness of our utter nothingness when we come face to face with God. The poor in spirit know they bring nothing. Now, this is not, by the way, a characteristic that is admired by our world today. People don't celebrate weakness and nothingness and emptiness. Our world celebrates confidence and courage and strength and self-reliance and stick-to-itness and determination. True disciples in the kingdom, though, know their spiritual weakness. And here's one of the things I love about the kingdom of God is that in the kingdom of God, we don't have to hide our weaknesses. We sang it in one of the songs this morning that here I am and I, don't, I can bring my weaknesses to you, God, my flaws and my failures. I can be honest with you about my weaknesses because our weaknesses are just opportunities for God's grace to be at work in our lives and for God to receive glory. Because if we were doing it out of our strength, then it would be for our glory. But it's his strength at work in our weaknesses that allows him to receive all the glory. The poor in spirit know they bring nothing. Now, I should add this caveat. Poor in spirit does not mean low self-esteem or the insistence that you have no value or worth. Scripture says that you were created in the very image of God. Every human being, regardless of what they look like, what they're able to contribute to society, Any choice that they've made in their life, we all have inherent dignity, value, and worth because we were created in the very image of God. But also Paul teaches us that beyond that, we were bought with a price. That God said, you're worth the life of my son. So to walk around with low self-esteem or or, or self-pity, this is not the same thing as being poor in spirit. Martin Lloyd-Jones tells a story about meeting a man when he was a guest preacher. He got to the train station and the man showed up and it says, the man asked for my suitcase and he ripped it from my hand saying, I'm a deacon in the church where you are preaching tomorrow. But what you should know about me is that I'm a mere nobody. I'm a very unimportant man. Really, I do not count. 
I am not a great man in the church. I am just one of those men who carries the bag for the minister. And Lloyd-Jones observed this, and I thought this was really interesting. This man was anxious that I should know what a humble man he was, how poor in spirit he was. Yet by his anxiety to make it known, he was denying the very thing he was trying to establish. We've all met this kind of person who by his own self-conscious diffidence is begging for us to say that he's not really nothing, but actually quite wonderful. And when this attitude is present, there is an absence of poverty of spirit. So poverty of spirit is not beating yourself up, thinking you're a loser, that you're nobody, that you could never amount to anything. Poverty of spirit is not walking around saying, Low is, you know, woe is me, and none of that. It's something else. And, and in the original language, the word poor actually uh, it would have conjured up the image of a beggar who was cowering and cringing, not even with the courage to ask, so desperate for help, but so afraid to ask. And when Jesus says the poor in spirit, what, it, what he's saying is that this is someone who realizes that they're fully dependent upon the giving of someone else. They can't give it to themselves. They cannot survive without help from the outside. One of the commentators says it this way, poverty of spirit is the personal acknowledgement of spiritual bankruptcy. That in and of myself, I don't have what it takes. One translation of the beatitude that we read is this, blessed are those who realize that they have nothing within themselves to commend them to God, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, doesn't that sound so backwards? In every other area of life, what gets us in is our ability to get ourselves in. We earn ourselves in. We, we, you know, we get a degree. We get an education. We build up our resume, and then we get into something. And what Jesus is saying here, the people who know that they should never be in, they're in. And the one thing that keeps us out is the certainty that we should be in. And that's what it means here, to be poor in spirit. And much later in the Bible, in fact, in the last book of the Bible, in Revelation, the Apostle John is writing to different churches, and he writes to this church in Laodicea, chapter 3, verse 17. And he says to them, this is the church, if you're familiar with this passage, we actually preached through these churches exactly one year ago, to start 2021. And this is the church that he described as lukewarm, the one that Jesus said, I would rather you be hot or cold to spit you out of my mouth. He was speaking of their uselessness because he was, Laodicea was very near these hot springs that were useful for uh, medical purposes, very near to these cold springs that were useful for drinking purposes. But Laodicea itself had lukewarm water, which was relatively useless back then because they didn't have refrigeration or ways really to effectively heat it. And so when Jesus says to the church, you're lukewarm, I'm gonna spit you out of my mouth, he's not saying that he'd rather we be in, we'd rather be cold towards God or hot toward, what he's saying is there's a uselessness about you. And here's why they're useless. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I have need of nothing. It's their pride and their confidence that's making them useless in the hands of God. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. These white garments represent the, the righteousness of Jesus Christ that, of course, we cannot buy, but we must receive. The shame of your nakedness may not be seen and salve uh, oil to anoint your eyes so that you may, be, you may see. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. And, and here's one of my prayers at the beginning of 2022, that we would be willing this morning for the Lord to reprove us of our lack of having a, being poor in spirit. Self-reliance, um, spiritual pride, certainty that because we've been serving him so long, he owes us certain things. The poor in spirit know that they bring nothing. But then the second thing I want us to get out of this text this morning 
is that not only the poor in spirit know they bring nothing, the poor in spirit can receive all things. They can receive all things. What is spiritual poverty? Uh, Jacques Philippe, a Catholic priest, says that spiritual poverty is the freedom to receive everything freely and to give everything freely. And you know that when there's pride in our lives, it actually prevents us from receiving things. Prideful people don't want to be given things. They want to earn things themselves. They don't want to admit that they need help or that they have a need. And it's pride that often presents, prevents us from receiving what God actually wants to bless us with. Um, spiritual poverty is to receive everything freely and to give everything freely. Pride keeps you from receiving things. Now, pride will allow you to receive some things, but not all things. What do you think of me? I need all things? I got my act together. I just need some things. And many people in our Christian faith, that's kind of how we are. Like, we feel really good about how we're doing in this area, but I really should be better at praying. I need to receive a better prayer life. Or I'm really good at this, but I struggle with my temper. Or this I'm all great at. And, and, here's, and pride will prevent you from receiving everything the Father wants to give you because everything we have is a gift from above, given to us from the Father, good and perfect gift. You know, poverty of spirit is the antithesis of this world's um, self-sufficiency and selfishness. You know, the world has its own beatitudes. They sound like this. Blessed is the person who is always right. <laughs> Blessed is the person who is strong. Blessed is the person who rules or who makes the rules. Blessed is the person who is satisfied with self and needs nothing. Blessed is the person who is rich. Blessed is the person who is popular. Blessed is the person who is famous and so on and so forth. And yet into that world that existed then and certainly exists today, Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. Pride will keep you from receiving all things. And you know what humility is? I believe that true humility is the clearest evidence that a person has had a real genuine encounter with God. True humility. Not spiritual strength, not great faith, not great gifts, not the ability to teach and preach and sing and lead. I think the truest evidence that someone has had a real encounter with God is that their life is marked with great humility. Because who can see God and then still think that there's something? Who can see God and still be filled with themselves but not be willing to empty themselves to receive all that God has? Being poor in spirit means you can receive all things. Here's a few things that we receive, and then we'll close. The poor in spirit can receive God's salvation. If you're here this morning, you say, I don't actually know if I have received God's salvation. I don't know if I'm right with the Father. I don't know if my sins have been forgiven. Well, here's something you need to hear. No one can come to Jesus without poverty of spirit. Um, the spiritually proud and the self-sufficient, those who actually think that there is something about them that will make God accept them, those are the people who are lost. And I've talked to many people throughout the years who have said, who have walked away from the church, who have walked away from their faith, who have walked away from Jesus. And as they walk away, the last thing they say is this, I can't do it. It's too hard. I can't live the life that I'm supposed to live. And to them, that's the end of their faith. But Jesus is teaching us here, the declaration I can't do it is not the end of our faith. It's actually the beginning of our faith. You can't even start following Jesus until you come to the point where you realize, I can't do it. I don't have it in me. Poverty of spirit is an indispensable sign of grace that we have come to what is known as a blessed emptiness, that in me there is nothing, but in Christ there is everything. Salvation is by faith alone, and we receive his grace and his salvation. The poor in spirit can receive God's salvation. Secondly, the poor in spirit can receive God's work. 
Because poverty of spirit is something we never outgrow. One of the dangers of being in the church for a long period of time or being a follower of Jesus for a long period of time is that you begin to get less impressed with Jesus and more impressed with yourself. That you begin to think more highly of yourself and you begin to think less of Jesus. And you see all those sinners that are out there doing all those terrible things and you think, boy, do they really need so much Jesus. You and I need just as much of Jesus' love and grace as any sinner in this world does. Because we continue to receive God's work because it's God's work that grows us and the poor in spirit are growing. The more spiritually mature we become, the more aware of our poverty of spirit that we become. The Apostle Paul Three times in his writings, he defines himself with a very specific phrase. One time he calls himself the least of the apostles. Another time he calls himself the least of the saints. And then another time he calls himself the chief of sinners. And if you study the chronological order in which Paul made those statements about himself, it's shocking. Because when he's youngest, he says, I'm the least of the apostles. The apostles are like the super Christians. Uh, he's like the, the Avengers of the Christian faith. Like, I'm, I'm the least, whichever Avenger is your least favorite. Like, he's like, I'm that one, right? I'm the least of the apostles. But then later in life, he goes, I'm the least of, not just the apostles, I'm the least of the saints. But then at the very end of his life, he says, I'm the worst of sinners. Now, did Paul actually become a worse sinner as he grew in his faith? Of course not. Paul was conformed day after day into the image of Christ. But what happened? Paul became increasingly aware of his sin, increasingly aware of the gap between the holiness of God and the way in which he lived his life in his heart. And it created in Paul a poverty of spirit that allowed him to say with confidence and without any fake humility, I'm the chief of sinners. One of the ways that you know that you're poor in spirit is that your sin bothers you more than other people's sins bother you. You're more offended by the sin in your own heart than you are by the sin in other people's lives. That's one of the ways that we know that, the, that, that we are growing in what it means to be poor in spirit. Paul um, has this thing called the thorn in the flesh, and we don't know what it means, but it was some sort of, some people think an eye thing, a physical ailment, a spiritual battle, doesn't really matter. It's not the point. The point is, he asked God to remove it from him three times. And God says to him, my grace is sufficient for you. That's a really heartwarming phrase, right? That's something you would, you would put onto a pillow uh, or, 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 or put on a, you know, a bumper sticker. But I can tell you right now, that's not what Paul wanted to hear. Paul didn't want to hear my grace is because Paul knew what that meant. It meant I'm not getting out of this. This is my cross to bear. What Paul wanted to hear was, I got you. I'm going to get you out of it. But instead, the Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses. This is so countercultural right now. Nobody boasts in their weaknesses. Everybody hides their weaknesses or makes excuses for their weaknesses or blames other people for their, excuse, their weaknesses. But Paul says, I will boast in my weaknesses gladly so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So the areas of your life in which you are weak, in which you are struggling, you can be honest about that with other people in your life because it just gives opportunity for Christ to receive glory as he strengthens you in those areas. For the sake of Christ, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. Content with all of this stuff that we often try to run from. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Just as no one can come to Christ without poverty of spirit, no one will continue to grow in Christ apart from poverty of spirit. The next thing is that the poor in spirit can receive God's will. What this means is this, that the poor in spirit can receive, remember we said the poor in spirit can receive all things, not just good things, but tough things, bad things, hard things. 
The poor in spirit can receive even the hardships of life without growing bitter against God. Why? Because they know that they brought nothing. They brought nothing. They didn't earn their way in or work their way in. And if we are seated at the very table of God, not because of anything we've done, but because of everything that he has done, then when something comes our way that is difficult, whether it's a diagnosis, whether it's a broken relationship, whether it's some sort of a struggle, whether it's something inside, whether it's something outside, whatever they are, and they all come for us, right? We've all, we could list them out. We all got them. The poor in spirit can receive those things without losing their joy, without losing their peace, without losing their way because they know they brought nothing to the kingdom. And Jesus actually kind of, he, he told us this was going to happen. He said in John 16 to his disciples, Behold, the hour is coming, and indeed it has come. He's speaking about the night of his crucifixion. When you will all be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Jesus had to receive the suffering of the cross. He received all things because he was poor in spirit. He received the rejection of his family. He received abandonment from his closest friends. He received the injustice of a cruel trial that was a sham under the darkness of night, then paying a price upon a cross that only the worst criminal should have possibly paid. He received it all. He could receive all of it because he was poor in spirit. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, and some of you, I think this is a good verse for you in 2022. I have said these things to you so that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Anyone find that to be true? In the world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. To be poor in spirit means to receive even the tribulations of life and to not lose our peace because we know that Jesus has overcome the world. Leonard Ravenhill, a famous preacher, said, hey, everybody wants to be like Jesus, but if you want to be like Jesus, remember, Jesus had a wilderness, Jesus had a Gethsemane, and Jesus had a Judas. Those who think that the riches of their spirit got them into the kingdom will never suffer well, and they'll never survive sorrow. Charles Spurgeon said, I have, this is one of my favorite quotes by him, I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of ages. I have learned to kiss the waves that throw me up against the rock of Jesus. And in different seasons of our lives, the waves come. And many of you have experienced times where the waves and storms of life have thrown you against something. But as a Christian, you're thrown up against Christ. You get thrown up against him and you realize he's what I have. He is the strength under my feet. He is the hope that I have. And so we learn to even receive God's will. And then lastly, we receive God's kingdom. I'm going to have the band join me. We're going to receive communion in just a moment and sing. I mean, this is the whole point of the beatitude, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs. And in the Greek, there is this tremendous emphasis on the word theirs. <laughs> like it is yours and it will not be taken from you because it says elsewhere in Scripture that the Father delights to give us the kingdom. He is not begrudgingly giving us his kingdom. He is not being forced. He's not been tricked. He's not been manipulated. He has not been moved. He delights to give the kingdom to those who are poor in spirit, who belong to him. The reward of the kingdom of God is both now and someday. And this is one of the mysteries, one of the theological doctrines or truths of the Christian church is that the kingdom of God is already, but not yet. It's here, what it means is that when Jesus did the work that he did, he established his kingdom on earth. So now we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. We reign and we rule with him. We are with Christ in a very spiritual way, but our feet are very much on a broken world. Very much right here where people's hearts get broken, people's lives get broken, and people get sick and people die. This is the place that we are.
So we know that the kingdom's not fully here, but it is here in our midst. And you know, the kingdom of heaven is less something that you get into, and it's more something that actually gets into you. Because the kingdom of heaven dwells within us. And as we begin to receive his kingdom, we begin to live out his values that are captured in these beatitudes. Our weakness becomes a place for his strength. Now, in closing, how do we do this? Well, the way to become poor in spirit is it's pretty simple. The way to become poor in spirit is not to determine to be poor in spirit, not to work to be poor in spirit, not to try to be poor in spirit. The way to become poor in spirit is to fix your eyes on Jesus, the author, the perfecter, and the finisher of our faith. Teresa of Avila said that it's in contemplating the greatness of God that we discover our own lowliness. And it's in seeing his purity that we see our dirtiness. And it's in considering his humility that we see how far we are from being humble. The poor in spirit know that they bring nothing, but the poor in spirit can receive all things. I want to finish by reading to you the verses of one of my favorite hymns. It's a modern day hymn called Not In Me by a guy named Bob Coughlin. And it so captures what it means to be poor in spirit, to have this mentality. So can I just read this to you? No list of sins I have not done. No list of virtues I pursue. No list of those I am not like can earn myself a place with you. Oh God, be merciful to me. I am a sinner through and through. My only hope of righteousness is not in me, but only you. No humble dress, no fervent prayer, no lifted hands, no tearful song, no recitation of the truth can justify a single wrong. My righteousness is Jesus' life. My debt was paid by Jesus' death. My weary load was borne by him, and he alone can give me rest. Come on, how good is that? My weary load was borne by him. Some of you came in here this morning with a a weary load. It's been borne by Christ. He alone can give you rest. And then the last verse, no separation from the world, no work I do, no gift I give can cleanse my conscience, cleanse my hands. I cannot cause my soul to live. But Jesus died and rose again. The power of death is overthrown. My God is merciful to me and merciful in Christ alone. It's not in us. We bring nothing. But as we receive all things, his grace, his mercy, his salvation, his work, his will, his kingdom, we realize, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Let's pray together.